0: Hello everyone, this is Matthew, uh, the parish pastor from Trinity on the east side and I come to you today from the east side, which has been sitting um, vacant for a couple weeks now, more than a couple weeks, and um, as I'm working there's not a whole lot going on other than a bunch of construction that's happening behind me. So at any given moment, there might be a loud explosion, um, but it still probably is quieter and more peaceful than my house, which has become a school building uh, in the last um, few weeks. I, I imagine that if you're anything like me, time has taken on a whole new feeling to it um, because all the markers are gone to know like what day it is. And what it's been replaced by is instead this sense of like every day feels somewhat the same and kind of monotonous and a little predictable. And at the same time, every day feels um, somewhat unpredictable and there's kind of a bracedness to like what's gonna happen next. Um, So I imagine that if you're anything like me, you're, you're just spending a lot of time right now trying to grapple with just understanding what's going on. And what's going on, what's happening is that the world is changing. I mean, at the, at the most macro meta level, the world is changing right now. And in a way that it's not gonna just recover from, you know, by the end of the calendar year. The things that are happening in society, societies are being reset. Economics and economies are being reformed. Whole industries are having to be reimagined, and some of them are going to fall into disrepair through this crisis. Through the health and the economic crisis that's sweeping across the entire globe right now, we are changing as a people, and of course, it like raises really obvious questions like how long is this going to go on, and when do we get to leave our house, and um, what is the world going to be like that we walk out of the door of our house into? What's it going to? What's going to be waiting for us? But there's there's even I think maybe a more important question to be asking during this time. Um, one way to ask it would be is the point recovery like is is that was that what the goal of this whole thing should be just recover just get back to what was just return to normal because that's what what made sense I've been uh reading probably like most of you a ton of articles and and I read an article this week by Ruth Haley Barton um, that was really wonderful. She's a spiritual formation author, writer, um, spiritual director, you know, like a pretty even-keeled, non-hysterical person. But she writes in the article that the, the question we need to be asking ourselves in, in, the, in this context in which the world is changing around us, the question we need to be asking is, God, what are you doing? What are you doing and how can I be a part of it with you? which is different than the question a lot of us are asking. Because we have this impulse, we want to try to get back to normal as quickly as possible. And that makes a ton of sense because normal worked for most of us. It didn't work for everyone, but, but the way things were, it felt, it, it felt familiar at least, it was comfortable. And so the desire to get back there makes a ton of sense and then anything that seems to be impeding us from getting back to normal, we becomes now the, the object of blame. The president, uh, China, whatever, you know politicians the cdc and we just look for ways to kind of be angry because we aren't able to get back but the question the better question that barton asks that i want to be asking is god if you're using this in some way if not if you're if you're in this and you're going to do something with it i want to see what that is and i want to be a part of it the way she writes it is what is it that you are saying right now and how can i hear you better what are the works of God that are waiting to be revealed in me and in each one of us through the COVID-19 global crisis that affects each of us so intimately and so personally? And she goes on to say, I think if we knew the answer to that, that we would know what to do on any given day. And, and most of us don't know what to do on any given day. I think we just kind of keep doing the next thing, right? Um, but we don't actually know what to do, like what should really be guiding us in this moment. Uh, Even as we navigate the most significant crisis that any of us have ever seen, she writes, we must not forget to ask the all-important question, what is happening right now, spiritually speaking, and how can I join God in it? Which is why... Uh, So much of what we're trying to give you right now from Trinity is meant to help you be reflective people because there are two ways to respond to what's happening. One is to be reflective and the other is to be reactive. And if, if we are reflective people, we'll find ourselves deepening. And the degree to which we are reactive and just responding to what's happening around us constantly, we're going to become shallower people. And, and um, what a loss it would be to walk out of our houses whenever that is, to, to come out of the end of this, this crisis season and to be shallower people. Like nobody wants that story. So I want to take a couple minutes before we jump into our text and just give you uh, some, some updates on how we're going to be communicating to you and giving you ways to, to think deeply and to connect with others in spiritual life during this uh, season. Um, we have started a daily podcast. It comes out Monday to Friday. It's a 10-minute devotional that me and a couple of the other pastors, Chris and Tripp at Trinity, are, are putting out. Um, we're just alternating, and it's a chance for us to think deeply for 10 minutes with one another about a Bible reading. Um, we're also going to be putting out weekly uh a weekly video on Wednesdays that's gonna go out to our Eastside Weekly Reader list. So if you're not getting the East Side Weekly Reader, you're getting the West Side one still, you're getting one from another parish, and you want to get the East Side as well, you can get all three if you want. Go to the website atltrinity.org and on there you can find where to subscribe to the weekly reader. It's gonna be my main way, our main way of communicating with you, of letting you know of upcoming events and how you can get into the right Zoom room to be a part of the meeting or whatever is going on. So make sure you're getting the East Side weekly reader and speaking of our website our communications team has done an incredible job and done a like a total redesign of our website in the last week and they've made it simpler and focused and really lean to help us during this season it's, it's, it's just populated with content that is relevant to what's going on right now and it's also now broken up by location. So when you go there, the first thing you'll see is the chance to go to the east side. And on that, you're gonna have direct communication from us, um, our events and gatherings, how you can participate in them, the opportunity to request prayer, to request a meeting with myself or one of the other pastors, uh, to let us know of needs that you're aware of. And so all this is, is, is already live and you can go check it out right now. And this is gonna be some of the ways that we try to, we try to find ways to connect with one another when we are unable to do so uh, in person. And then finally i want to let you know that uh, we're going to try something for the next couple of weeks and maybe we'll keep it around uh we we used to be able to say at the end of every service if you'd like to receive prayer please come forward and and we'd love to pray for you and of course we can't do that like we can't do many things now but what we're going to do today is set up rooms um breakout rooms through zoom where a person can request prayer and so there's going to be instructions at the end of the of the the service that you're watching but if you'd like to receive prayer we're going to have openings today uh, both at 11 o'clock and then later this afternoon and you can find out more about how to do that on our website but also wait till the end of the video and i'll tell you how to you know go, go into zoom and be ready to have a pastor pray with you um all right it's a lot of updates. Let's, let's, um, let's jump into our text. We're going to read today from, again, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you received a spirit of adoption. And when we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you, in the midst of a, Of a hard season that you are speaking and Lord we ask for you to speak now to us Lord I pray for the church gathered across all parts of our city I pray for these people who have now been in their homes for for weeks and Lord I pray that you would please Holy Spirit that you would give them your peace that you would remind them of the larger thing that they are a part of. God, we thank you that you are able to be present with all of us at once. We don't have to be in a room together. And um, so, God, we ask for your your company. And we ask for your voice to lead us in this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, there are... Um, Four movements in this text that I want us to, to work through, and um, we'll just uh, they'll be on the screen uh, as we go through them. Uh, the first is the word at the very beginning of our text. So then Paul writes, uh, "Brothers and sisters." So then brothers and sisters. One of the things that I heard Tripp mention this week in the the Thursday morning devotional podcast was that what feels like sort of a cultural, but not just, not like locally cultural, like global mantra at the moment is this idea that, that we're in this together, that we uh, belong to one another, that you and I, um, that we're going to, we're going to either do this with one another or we're going (laughs) to, or, or or we're, we're not going to make it that we're all going to choose to sacrifice for one another. And I think it's really good to, the way that Paul just sort of inserts in the, in the middle of this, this very long section just this little reminder in the middle of it that he's speaking to people who are brothers and sisters. And here's why I think it's so cool that he does that. Because, as I said weeks ago when we were still meeting on the east side, the, the letter to the Roman church was written to a church that was more aware of its divisions than of what unified it. That there was a lot of d- racial and and tradition and religious division that was creating classes and it was creating uh, tribes and hierarchies and this was a lot of the reason Paul sat down and put pen to paper and wrote 16 chapters uh, to his these people in rome he wanted them to understand that there was a way of thinking about themselves and about god and about what god was doing in the world and how they could understand themselves in that plan that it would make sense of why they were actually all one that one wasn't better than the other that they all needed each other and so he says brothers and sisters just as a way of reminding you and me something that we're learning right now and it's sad that it takes like a pandemic to teach us this or some natural disaster Um, and yet it seems like it oftentimes does but God let us learn it this time brothers and sisters he says you can just imagine if you were to put just two groups in our country that don't have a whole lot in common with each other ideologically or racially or traditionally or religiously you just put them in a room together and read a letter to both of them and it was for both of them and you said brothers and sisters it's just a way of in a moment, just sort of leveling the ground. We are all family with one another. We belong uh, to one another. Dr. King, in his letter um, from the Birmingham jail, writes, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all of us indirectly. And we're experiencing that right now. It's also a reminder, I think, that the, the people right now, the, 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 the pundits, the whomever it is that's trying to still sow division, that's still looking for ways to, to say why these people are wrong or dumb and why you're not a part of the wrong group or whatever, it's, we just need to resist that. That what the Spirit comes and speaks to you and me is brothers and sisters. It speaks movement towards one another, that we belong to one another, that we, um, we're in this together. The second movement uh, in our passage, the very next thing Paul says, we are debtors not to the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh. Now, this language of debtor is very vivid language. It's, um, it's provocative because it was well, communicating indebtedness, which, of course, is this understanding that when, when, um, when I'm in debt, like I owe someone something, I have an obligation, and I'm not free until like, I've met that obligation. That's what it is to be in debt. Like, I'm not free until I've met the obligation. And so a person who is, who is a debtor to the flesh is a person who feels an obligation, a requirement, who feels indebted to listen to um, that thing inside of them that is, is ultimately uh, leading them um, into unhealth, into uh, a shallowness, into reactivity, into unholiness, something that doesn't reflect or represent what God is like. And so the way that this, this works uh, is, is that we, we spend most of our life just sort of living instinctually. We spend most of our life just reacting to what's going on around us. Um, that's how it works. And so I am working on something in my home, and it's not going the way it's supposed to go like I tackle a project and I end up creating a bigger mess or discovering that it's going to cost way more and I get very frustrated by that or I'm trying to get something to work on a computer and it's not working the way it's supposed to work or I have a really hard day and like walk into my kitchen and I'm looking for something that has sugar in it or you know, some, open the fridge and, and look for something you know, uh, that's that's going to make me feel better in that moment and um, or I, I, uh, I have a conversation with someone and then I leave the conversation feeling worse and feeling angry and and it's really because I'm embarrassed because I, th- I, pro- I feel like I may have said something, you know, sort of dumb or something I wish I could unsay, and yet now I can't, and it's already over, and I can't take it back without making it even weirder, and. Okay, so like most of most of our lives are kind of lived on that level where like a thing happens and then we respond to it. And we respond to it in some sort of way. We medicate or we, uh, you know, with, with with food or 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 Netflix or alcohol or we go uh, into um, our room and we scroll on our phone until our heart feels hollow and then we get up and leave and, and go go on with our day or, or whatever it is, you know, or we get frustrated and we you know sort of pound the table and walk out of the room and walk away from our problems or get angrier or take it out on the next person that we see even though they had nothing to do with it that's how a lot of people end up living their life most of the time it's just this very sort of shallow reactive this is happening to me and so i'm going to respond out of that that sort of cycle is the way that a lot of us live and, and usually on the other side of some sort of, uh, on the other side of that cycle is some kind of shame or regret or guilt. And then there's some sort of internal vow that I make to not do it anymore, to change my behavior, to be a different kind of person, or some sort of a payment plan that I come up with that, I, that I'm that i going to, to, to do in order to pay back the people who I wrong, was wrong to until the pressure builds up again, or something happens that sets me off, or I get really ashamed and embarrassed again, and the cycle continues. and what Paul is saying is you and I are not debtors to the flesh. Like you and I are not under the obligation to live according to that cycle. We don't have to continue in that pattern. There's a different way of living. And that's a profound idea that you and I have a choice in the matter. We can be a different kind of person. So uh, if you've been at Trinity for a while, you know that I love this book. Uh, John Steinbeck, East of Eden and while you're home and you have probably not too much to do you might as well pick up a 600-page Masterpiece It's really worth reading, but the thing that, that Steinbeck talks about in his book That's so good is he, he uses the story of Cain and Abel from the beginning of the Old Testament and in which Cain and Abel are two brothers and Abel is blessed by God and Cain is not and Cain gets very jealous of his brother Abel and God finds his finds Cain and says Cain Be careful man um, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to consume you but um, and then the Hebrew word timshel uh, which is translated thou mayest you may overcome it sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to consume you but you may overcome it and that idea of thou mayest is the heart of the entire book um, and it's it's a word that changed my life it changed my life because it, it, under, it, it, put, it put the ball in my court. It made me realize that what Paul is saying is you and I are not debtors to the flesh. There is a different way of living and it's available to us and you and I have a choice. As Steinbeck writes, the Hebrew word, the word timshell, thou mayest, it gives a choice. It might be the most important word in the world. It says that the way is open. It throws it right back on man. For if thou mayest... It is also true that thou mayest not." Um, a person who's getting a lot of really great press in recent years, and, and well-deserved good press, and one of my heroes um, is Fred Rogers. And that's also no surprise to you if you come to the East Side. Back in 1968, um, Mr. Rogers wrote a song. And it's written for children, but um, Here's the Trojan horse. It's actually written for you and me. (laughs) These are the words of the song. He says, what do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad you could bite? When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems right. It's great to be able to stop when you've planned to do a thing that is wrong and to be able to do something else instead and to think this song. And then this is the chorus, the song. I can stop when I want to. I can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this. And to know that the feeling is really mine. To know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can someday be a woman, and a boy can someday be a man. Um it's a little strange to try to read Fred Rogers song lyrics dramatically to an iPhone. Um, And yet I hope that you can, (laughs) I hope that you can hear that there's a spirit in that, that is so consistent with what God is always offering to you and me. That there is a way, there is a different way it's available, which brings us to our third movement that is, there is a way that is life there's a way of living that is life and there's a way of living that is death paul sets before his readers two masters as it were one is mastered by the flesh and one is the spirit of god Um, to be mastered by the flesh this is just the unchecked unrestrained self apart from from god Uh, this is us living purely out of self-interest this is the part of us that is hoarding right now this is the part of us that is not listening to recommendations from medical professionals because we think we know better or we're not concerned with our neighbors um this is the part of us that reacts aggressively this is the part of us um uh that sulks when we don't go get our way and and it's not a particularly attractive part of you and me and yet it's a part of all of us and when we let this this part of Um, we let this part of, of us master us when we let the flesh lead us and guide us. And this part particularly shows up in stress. Um, exhaustion brings this out, disappointment, um, coronavirus. But Paul says there's another way of being led and it's not being led merely by the flesh, this sort of intangible, but self-interested, self-focused, um, thing he says there's a way of being led by the spirit of god and the image comes from the book of exodus of of the people the children of israel being led across the wilderness by god um the, the story towards the beginning of the Old Testament is of Moses and the children of Israel who were slaves coming out of the land of Egypt where they'd been slaves for 400 years and walking across the wilderness where God led them for, for 40 years. And it says that the Spirit of God led them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And this is, this is almost certainly the image that's in Paul's mind at this point because he's, he's always thinking in, in, in Jewish imagery. Of, of god leading s- slaves across the wilderness to a land of promise where they would fully become children where they would live into their inheritance as god's adopted people as god's children this is what um is 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 imagined by Paul but even more than that it's, it's, it's what's available to you and me the sense of being led by something that is greater than the immediacy of the, the moment, the immediacy of my flesh of what I'm wanting or craving the immediacy of the impulse the immediacy of, of, of the pain or the reaction um, and instead there is an awareness that there's a life available to God from God to move through a moment healthily to move through a moment um, in a holy way to move through a moment in a way that's grounded and growing. There are two ways of living, Paul says, one that leads to life and one that leads to death. And then he finishes by giving us the framework in which this this second way, the way that leads to life is available. And it's rooted, he says, in relationship. He, he, in a sense, he ramps up the language a little bit. He goes from talking about being being led by the flesh versus led by the spirit to being slaves versus being sons and daughters. He he elevates the the language. And he says there are two relationships really at stake here. One is the relationship between me and a slave master, and the other is between me and a father. And that what I have actually to choose between is belonging into a family, a relational community, or... um, or living in bondage. And he says, but you and I are not slaves, but children. We have not been given a spirit of fear. And so we're not meant to be motivated by fear, but motivated and compelled by love. Uh, You and I have not been trapped into a, a life of compulsion, but we have been liberated into a life of opportunity because you and I have been adopted. He says, we've been brought in. And adoption in the first century was, was, was just as legally huge of a deal as it is today. Maybe not quite as relationally robust, and, and, and yet that might just be true of, of um, kind of the way the family worked in the first century. But every person I know who has adopted children can, will say that without question, without any hesitation, um, there is no difference in the way that an adopted child is viewed as opposed to a biological child that there is no difference or distinction in what is wanted or desired for one over the other, that they both hold uh, equal place of importance and supremacy. And, and I think that that's really important for you and I to understand that what that means is that God, when he uses adoptive language, and then he goes on to say co-heirs, he's just saying, like, because you've been brought into the family as Jesus' brother, you've been given the same rights and inheritance that Jesus has earned, which is a big deal. <laughs> you've been given the same rights and inheritance that Jesus has earned, uh, and you're not viewed any differently now. You know, you're, you're like, you have a room on the hall with everyone. Like, everyone is welcome into the... To the family room together. Everyone's invited around the table with one another. You have been fully brought in and given all the rights and privileges and power of Jesus because you have been adopted into the family of God. You've been made co-heirs with God's um, only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus. And then Paul closes with this idea. And so therefore you need to understand that part of being in this family is that there will be certain shared experiences. One of the shared experiences is of the cry Abba. And that's an incredible word. It's, it's an Aramaic word. It means daddy. It's a very deeply personal and intimate word that is used to describe um, a relationship of intimacy and connection with her father. And so when, when Paul says that you and I can, can cry, Abba, Father, he is saying that you have been brought into the innermost sanctum of personal relationship with the God of the universe so that you don't have to feel weird or out of place or mistaken or awkward, clumsy to call God your dad. To have that sort of familiar with him but he says there's another thing that's shared in this family and that's the shared experience of suffering he says as we experience the intimacy with God that's available through the spirit we also will experience the suffering that is a part of being in this family that we will suffer with Jesus and will be glorified with Jesus and he goes right on to say in a verse that we didn't read today but the very next verses and I consider I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to you and me. And and I think that maybe that's probably a good word for us to land on today. As we've been brought into this family, part of being brought into this family is, is sharing sufferings with Jesus because our God is a God who does not shirk suffering. He doesn't run from it. He enters into the middle of it. He experiences it fully alongside us. And part of being his children, part of being a co-heir with Jesus is going to be sharing in sufferings in this life. And I know that, that a lot of us right now are suffering. And that in a sense our whole world is suffering. But I consider that the present sufferings that you and I are experiencing are not, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us he goes on to say, for the whole creation groans with anticipation as in labor pains. To be set free from the bondage of corruption. He says there's going to be a breaking out one day. On the other side of this, there's going to be a breaking out, a liberation for all of creation. He says right now the trees are groaning, anticipating it. The creatures are groaning, waiting for it. And even as we sit in our houses and look at our windows and go on walks and see spring bursting forth all around us, I think we can, we can maybe in a way that we never have before say we groan for it too, for the day of liberation in which we will finally see what all this suffering was actually preparing in us, a weight of glory uh, beyond all comparison. I um, like to pray for us. And then after praying, we're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to say the Lord's prayer together. And um, yeah, let's pray. God, we um, We thank you, Lord, that you have given us promises that are greater than our suffering that these promises are rooted in a relationship with you and that we today get to have a foretaste of that promise fulfillment because we get to have a foretaste of intimacy with you. And Lord, I just pray for all those listening. I pray that they might experience that. They might experience that intimacy with you in this season, especially those who today are alone. I think especially of the many who um, are in isolation by themselves. And I pray, Father, in a way that only you could and only your spirit could, that you would embrace and pull close and love those who feel most isolated right now. God, give us a picture of the glory that is on the other side of all suffering and even the small taste that will be on the other side of this seasonal suffering. Lord, we lay out our lives before you. We pray that you would make us deep people, reflective people, open people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.